Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. That's in the Old Testament, so the beginning of your Bible. And then uh, also you can look uh, on our live page. Our live page also has calendar announcements and other information you might need. Things to sign up for are typically there. Um, and then also the scripture verses you can click and follow along via your phone if you need to do that. And then those are always there all week. I don't change. I, always, I say this about every third or fourth week, but I don't change the scriptures um, ever, thankfully. Like they're forever. No, I'm just kidding. On the webpage, I typically don't change the scriptures till the following Sunday. So if people want to go back and look over them, they're there all week for you uh, to kind of look at. And so always keep that in mind. Um, in our series, we've been talking about the idea of the, uh, the theme of Deuteronomy, which is Yahweh is giving you, that, that God is giving you. Yahweh is the Old Testament name of, of God. And so it, it's the idea that he's the giver. We can't give ourselves anything. We can't create anything without him doing it. it it's all about him. And, and so the, the theme of the book of Deuteronomy, and you, when you read through it, and we've talked about this for several weeks, we only have two weeks left. We'll have this week, and then we're going to take a pause and do kind of a mission Sunday next week, which kind of fits because they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And so next week, we're going to talk about some of the missions that we've done throughout the year. We've had people in East Asia. We've had people in Africa. We've had people in Ecuador. And so next week, we want to take some time to just let people share uh, about what God has done and what God has given and uh, what we've seen him do. And then we'll do one more week in Deuteronomy, and then we'll start the book of Luke um, and and begin there uh, following that. This week, here's what we're going to talk about. Who will cross? Who will cross, right? Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, right, Monopoly. Who will cross? I mean, this is the question. You have a group of people, God's promised people in the Old Testament. They've been delivered from slavery out of Egypt. They've been wandering around in the wilderness 40 years because they disobeyed God. And there's an entire generation who's dying off one by one. Because of their sin, God said, you can't cross. You're not going to be able to cross into the physical promised land I'm taking you into. He didn't say they couldn't go and be with him forever someday. He said, but the physical land that I'm taking you into right now, you don't get to go. And isn't that awful when someone tells you that you can't cross, you can't go? Isn't there everything in us that when someone tells us that, we're like, oh yeah, I'll show you. Like... uh, I'll make this happen, right? I'm going to find a bridge. I'm going to, get, I'm going to build something. I'm going to find, you're not going to tell me I can't go. I mean, that's, that's our heart. And yet the reality is all these people are dying off. And the only one left at this point is Moses. Like we're at the end of Deuteronomy. And the only guy left from the 40 years of wandering, the only guy left out of everybody is Moses. Moses is it, and Moses knows, and he's getting ready to talk about the fact that he doesn't get to cross. This incredibly righteous, loving, caring servant of God doesn't get to cross. He doesn't get to go. He's given his entire life to these stiff-necked people, which is how God refers to his people over and over again. We'll see that again today. And God looks at Moses, and he says, you're not crossing. Because of your sin, he promises him, we'll see in a minute, that you'll be with me forever, that you'll be in the ultimate promised land when I bring the land to heaven. Like, you'll be with your, your fathers. You'll, I've got this, but you don't get to lead these people. Like, like, you don't get to go. And isn't that so frustrating? And that is not a message that's very popular in our Christian world today. It is not a popular message in our Christian world today to be told you can't go or you can't do this. We immediately say, no, I'll show you. I'll point out scriptures. There are just things that God does not give us permission to go do, no matter how much we want to, because he has other things he has for us. He's trying to do other things through us. It doesn't mean we shouldn't dream. It doesn't mean we shouldn't look to go. But so often, the problem is we get so far out in front of God, we're looking to go instead of just stay where we're at and have an impact. And that's what Moses had chosen to do. And so here we are, who will cross? And for us, this is an important question, right? Because the reality for us is, if we believe that there's a God or some kind of being, and you believe that there could be an afterlife, some kind of afterlife, then the question really is, who gets to go? Who gets to cross over from this life to the next life? How? 
How do you get there? How does that happen? Because if you don't answer that question on this side of eternity, it's probably too late when you get there, right? Like you've got to answer that question now before you get there. Because once you get there, it's too late. And so it's really a question that we have to ask. And as we look around at the world, we have to ask, who will cross? Who gets to go to heaven? Who gets the opportunity? Because if Moses didn't get to go to the promised land, I'm not as good as Moses. You probably aren't either <laughs> in terms of works. And so what does it look like? So here we are, jump in, 31-1. Moses is now at the end of his life. He's actually right at the end of his life. We've only got a couple more chapters of him speaking, and then he's gone. And it says, then Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. He's been speaking for 30 chapters. He's continuing to speak. He's not done yet. Saying, I am now 120 years old. <laughs> How many of you would like to live till you are 120 years old, Right? He's 120. By the way, God tells him he has to climb a mountain to be able to die at 120. Like, that's just like, ouch. But we also find out later that he still had great eyesight, great health, everything. We'll find in a, in a couple of weeks that he was in really good physical shape for 120. Like, God had preserved him physically. He says, I can no longer act as your leader. The Lord has told me, you will not cross this Jordan the river to go into the promised land. They're on the edge of the Jordan River. He looks, he says, the Lord has told me I can no longer lead you. In other words, his health is fine. He's physically fine. He's mentally sharp. He can see and hear. If you read the last book of Deuteronomy, it tells us Moses was in fine health. And yet God's like, you can't lead anymore. It's time. It's like, but, but I got so much more to give. I, no, it, it's just time. It's time. Do you trust me? Is what he's saying. And Moses trusts him. That's why he's telling the people this. God told me I can't lead you anymore. Sorry. <laughs> it's time. And he says, the Lord your God is the one who will cross ahead of you. I love this. Listen, God always crosses before us. God always has a plan. He always knows what's coming. He always goes ahead of his people. That's why the gospel, the message about who Jesus is and the message of the Bible that God would save humanity when we can't save ourselves is so important because Jesus crossed from heaven to put himself in a human body. He crossed time and space to put himself where we were so that he would die, be resurrected, then ascend to heaven to say, I can take you back with me. He did it for us. He did it on our behalf. He crossed the boundary between heaven and earth and then crossed it back for us to say, if you follow me, you can cross. I know how to cross the boundary of time and space, the boundary of eternity. No one else has done it. Everybody else dies, gets buried, and you can go visit their grave. Every other religious leader. Jesus is the only one that was died, buried, raised again, and you can't go visit where he where he's at, because he crossed back over. And so literally, that's the message. Mo Moses is saying, look, God has told me he's the one that's always going to leave. He's going ahead of us. It's not like he says, you go, good luck, I'm going to sit back here and see what happens. No, he does that when we choose to sin. And we'll see that in a minute. That's when he just takes his hands off and says, fine, go. That's not where I'm going, but you can go. Go ahead and see how it works. And then we fall flat on our face often. We wake up and go, well, that didn't work. And God says, I'm over here. Would you like to come over here? I've already cleared the way. I'm right here. You can just come with me. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's exactly what he's doing. And he says, the Lord your God is the one who will cross. He will destroy these nations before you. You will drive them out. He says, you're going to participate in this. This isn't just you're going. This is a participation. You get to participate in doing this. It's not well, God's going, so I can just sit back. He's going to do his thing. I really can't do anything. I just kind of wait for God to move. And he's going to come back and then suck me up into heaven, hopefully, and I'm just ready to get... No! He says, you're going to be a part of this. I want you to, to be in this with me. And he says, Joshua is the one that will cross ahead of you, as the Lord has said. Now, this is a loaded phrase. Joshua's name means Yahweh is salvation. It's the name of Jesus. It's a derivative of the name that we say Jesus, which is Yahweh saves. So literally Moses says, 
Yahweh saves, Jesus is the one who will cross ahead of you as the Lord has said. This is thousands of years before Jesus comes. This is thousands of years before Yahweh saves, comes to earth. And Moses says, God's setting something up here for you to see. God's going to go ahead of you. God's got a plan. He's got this worked out. There's a promised land coming. And a guy named Yahweh saves is the one who's going to lead you. The purpose of that was to be sure that we didn't miss when the real Yahweh came to save us. He's laying the foundation of this to say, look, it's always going to be, he's going to lead you. Will you follow? The Lord will deal with them, the enemies, as he did Sihon and Og. You remember those stories if you read back in Deuteronomy and in the Exodus and the king of the Amorites and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them over to you and you must do to them exactly as I've commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Moses then summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land the Lord swore to give to their fathers. You will enable them to take possession of it. It is this beautiful picture, this beautiful exchange of leadership. It's this beautiful picture of saying, look, don't be terrified. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. You see, we get terrified often because we lack faith. We often lack faith because we know we're disobedient. And so we get terrified. See, if we're in right relationship with God, there's no terror. There's peace. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. It doesn't matter the terrors of this world that are happening to you. If you are in right relationship with your God, there's peace. There's a sense of it doesn't matter what anyone does to me. It doesn't Because God's going ahead of me. He's never going to leave me or forsake me. See, God's desire was to tell them, I don't want to leave you or forsake you. See, here's the issue. God never leaves us or forsakes us, but we do him. See, God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But, but we leave him all the time. We leave him in the dust to follow our plans and our way, to cross where we want to cross and do what we want to do. And God is still gracious enough to forgive us and to call us back to himself, which is amazing because we don't deserve it. And that's what Moses is saying. He's saying, look, be courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be terrified. But he says it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. This uh, Friday night, we were sitting around, and Susan's like, I don't want to sit at home tonight. We, everybody's home. Let's go do something. And so there's a young man that attends school with our kids. He's a, at Edgewood, and, and uh, he, he loves um, rodeo. So he does bull riding and roping. And so Susan's like, hey, there's a rodeo at the Brown County State Fair, or Brown County Fair. Why don't we go to the Brown County Fair and see this young man do this? And I'm like... Yes. Like I was a ranch camp instructor for a couple of summers. I love horses. I mean, this would be fun to go watch this. So we go and I've, I've given him a hard time in the past. Like I've, I've built a little bit of a relationship with him. And so I'm looking at him and saying, hey, I, I hope you ride better than you shoot. Like I'm giving him a rough time. And, you know, but it was just amazing. I'm asking his mom. I'm like, he's getting ready to get on like a 2000 pound bull. Does that bother you? She's like, yeah, kind of, but I mean, he's stupid. So, I mean, you're just going to do it. Like, I just, he's gonna, I'm not going to keep him from doing it. I mean, he, he had his shoulder damage because he rode a saddle bronc. They put him on a professional saddle bronc, and they didn't know it was a pro horse that had retired, threw him off, and ruined his shoulder. And he's still out there. And all I'm thinking of in this message this week is like, be strong and courageous. Listen, you don't get on a bull unless you're strong and courageous or stupid. Okay, I mean, but you don't, like, you, it takes courage. This animal. I mean, you can feel the strength of these animals. They're trained to, to, he said at one point to his mom, I was talking to his mom when he rode that saddle bronc, and she said, you know, he sat down and he said, I could feel every muscle in that horse just tighten up. He said, you could feel it just inflate and like shake. The muscles were quivering before they opened that door. And he's like, you're just sitting there going, oh, goodness. And when we would jump horses, I'll never forget that, learning how to jump a horse. 
And I'll never forget, I was on Cody. He was our big white quarter horse. And I'll never forget sitting on the back of him and going up on a jump. And you could just feel his muscles. I mean, it was like your legs went, I mean, you expanded out because you felt him. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm going airborne on a 2,000-pound animal. I mean, and it was incredible. But it's scary. See, God's like, look, it's worth it. When you land and get to the other side and you're like, man, I survived that and that was cool. And the crazy thing is, is he rode bulls twice more. Like they needed somebody because you're supposed to ride the bulls out. Like they, they need to, to get their energy out because they know they're, they're supposed to do it. And if you don't do that, then it can like almost hurt the animal. They get all tensed up. And so they have to have guys that will just at the end when the rodeo's over, just ride the bulls that didn't get ridden. And he's like, I'll do it. I'm like, what? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And, and, and so often we get terrified and we're not willing to be strong and courageous in the fight. It's just, it's too much, I'm, I'm done. And he says, Yahweh will do it. He'll go before you. Verse 8 says, the Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave or forsake you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. He repeats himself. Whenever God repeats himself, it's because he's trying to make a point. And he says, look, he's going to go before you. He's not the gods of all these other gods that, that tell you to go do stuff and they live in their little temple. And they don't go before you. You have to keep coming back to them. And see, that's a misconception in Christianity. So many people come to church to get filled up each week. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You don't come to church to get filled back up. You come to church to celebrate that God fills you with other believers he fills us up. He doesn't leave and forsake. We have to come back and get him because he's playing hide and seek with us. That's not his heart. Now, can he be in the presence of sin? No, which is why he distances himself from us sometimes to get our attention. Let me ask you, are you afraid or discouraged? Are you afraid or discouraged about something right now? Let me just tell you, the Lord wants to be with you. He wants to lead you through it. You've got to have the courage to believe that obeying him is worth it. And if you don't, if you don't, then you're lacking wisdom, which is foolishness. It's foolishness. He goes on to say this. Moses wrote down this law and he gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi. They were the ones that were supposed to communicate the law to the people. They took care of the tabernacle. They were a tribe of the 12 tribes of Jacob. They carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to all the elders of Israel. Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time of the year of debt cancellation, remember we read about that earlier in our series, during the festival of booze, that's the festival of tabernacles. This is the festival when you celebrate that God is coming down from heaven to earth. You go build a little booth, you cut a hole in the top, you have your meals in the booth, and it symbolizes God's going to come through the hole and supper with you, hang out with you. That, that's the Feast of Tabernacles. When he just said, God wants to be with you, he doesn't want to leave or forsake you, so to be reminded of what I just told you and everything else, during the feast where you celebrate this every year for thousands of years, you're going to remember this. But God, God sets us up to not have any excuse, right? And he says, it's also the year of debt cancellation. What's that mean? Forgiveness. To be reminded that when you're discouraged and terrified of your sin and terrified of God, that you remember that God cancels debts. Why? Because you're canceling all the debts. We have no record in Israel's history that they ever celebrated the seventh year cancellation of debts. They might have. God didn't record it. And that's so sad. It's so sad that well, we can't do it. It just it's, it costs us too much. It's, it's too hard. It's too difficult. I mean, we're having a conversation about canceling debts now. And we're fighting about it. Because we know that it doesn't solve anything to cancel these debts, which is probably what they thought. But it does, if, you, if it glorifies God, it's a great picture. If we said, let's forgive all the student loan debts of those who are willing to say that God is the forgiver and that his son Jesus is the Messiah who came to forgive, we'll forgive your student loan debts. We probably have a lot of people who'd lie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah. He's, a, oh, he's God, right? Lift him up. Woo! But at least they'd have to lie. At least there'd be something. And that's exactly what he says. He goes, look, God wants to be with you. He wants to bring forgiveness. He wants to bring his presence. 
to you. And so you're going to remember this and you're going to read the whole law. You know how long that would take? Can you imagine going to family dinner and say, yeah, we're going to be at dinner for a little while. We've got to read the whole law. <laughs> 30 some chapters through Deuteronomy. Here we go. And you're reading through it. And it's like, oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, you're going to read the whole law. To be reminded of who you were, who God is, where you're going, what's happening. You need to remember the full picture. Not just the parts you like. Not just the good parts. Not just the bad parts. All of it, God says. And isn't it sad that instead we, we hide the law today? There's a big movement in the church that says we just need to forget the Old Testament. We need to hide the law. There was a time in our history as Christians where people hid the law. They hid the book. That was the Catholics. They only had it in Latin. And they didn't want it translated. They didn't want people to know what the Bible said because they knew they were corrupt. It's the same thing here. The reason they never did this and read the law, only a couple of times in Israel's history do we ever have them having a reading of the law is because they didn't want to deal with the reality of it and the reality of their God who is fully holy and terrifying and fully loving and forgiving at the same time. Moses said, gather the people, men, women, children, and foreigners living within your gates so they may listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to follow the words of this law. He's like, look, there's a purpose. We're not just reading this because it's a good bedtime story. Like, we want everybody to know, to listen, to learn. We want them to learn what it means to fear God, not to be afraid of him, but to be in awe of him and how our response is and to be careful to follow because if you're in awe in someone, of someone, you typically follow their ways. That's why people advertise, right? The reason they have Tiger Woods Michael Jordan, LeBron James. The reason they have these guys advertising is because they know people want to follow their ways and they pay them big money. See, who we follow, what we, that same thing. Their children who do not know the law will listen and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you're crossing to possess. I love that. He even says, you don't even know it, but by simply obeying the law, by doing simple obedience, by doing simple, even if it's 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, your children are watching. They're saying, do you really believe in God? Because I don't know if I see it. You say it, but I don't, I don't know. When I challenge you, 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 you're not humble at all. You just get mad. You see, it's like our kids are watching. There's a generation watching. The Lord said to Moses, the time of your death is now approaching. Like this is so, 40 years you've been serving. You're on the edge of the promised land. You are seeing all the spoils of the promised land. I mean, all of it. And he's like, yeah, the time of your, don't forget, you're not crossing. <laughs> like this is, you don't get to cross. Do not collect, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting so that I may commission him. I love this. When Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting, the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of a cloud, and the cloud stood at the entrance to the tent. This was always what happened. Whenever they go into the tent of the meeting, look what happened. God's presence came. God wasn't avoiding them. He wasn't like, well, I'm just waiting to see if you really mean it, Moses. Just waiting to see if you and Joshua. No, he wants to be with them. He encircled them in a cloud because he wanted to protect them from his ultimate holiness. The reason it was a cloud is because it's like I, there's got to be a little bit of a veil. If, if you get all my holiness, you'll die. So I'm going to give you a cloud to protect you. That, that's amazing. God didn't have to do that. He could have just kept having people come in and kill him. <laughs> Another dead guy, drag his body out. Another dead guy, drag his body out. Like, no, he provided a way to fellowship with him. He brings in Joshua, and they have this incredible, can you imagine being Joshua in this moment? You didn't pick your name. Yahweh saves, that's your name. You have to live with that. You were one of the two spies out of the 12 that refused to say God couldn't lead us into the promised land when all the rest of them said, ah, we're scared, we're not going. And Joshua and Caleb were the two that were like, no way, we can do this. And now 40 years you've been wandering around the wilderness. You didn't know you were going to be the successor. You, you didn't know, you, maybe. But then Moses takes you into the tent of meeting and it's like you now, where Joshua was always on the outside of the tent of meeting, now he's in with Moses. He's been invited into the presence and close relationship with God. What a moment for Joshua. 
The Lord said to Moses, you're about to rest with your fathers. I mean, how many times do you have to be reminded? Uh, remember, Moses, you're dying. You're going to die. Remember, you're you're going to die. You're going to die. It's like the fifth time he's told him you're going to die and you don't get to cross. Can you imagine Moses being like, I know. How many times you got to tell me? I know. Like, and he repeats himself. And he says, you're about to rest with your fathers and these people will soon. Now stop. These people will soon what? You've been leading these people 40 years. You've given them the law. They've got Exodus. They've got Genesis. You've written all this down for them. And now it's like, has my life been worth it? I've given 40 years of my life to these people. My family are with these people. Like, like this is the moment. These people will soon. And you're like, yeah, they're going to they're gonna do it. Commit adultery with foreign gods of the land they are in. <laughs> they will abandon me and break the covenant I've made with them. Oh, this had to be the hardest. They're in the tent of meeting, speaking with God, and God doesn't hold back. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't pretend. He just, he just honestly tells Moses the truth. I'm not going to tell you everything's going to be okay and peace, peace, and it's going to be wonderful. No, Moses, I'm letting you know right now, everything you did, they're not going to listen. And the reason is because they don't listen to me. And if you're following me, they're not going to listen to you. This isn't about you, Moses. This is about me. It's about people being willing to listen and believe me. And so I'm just honest enough with you and Joshua to tell you, you're going to lead these people in, and the second you go in, they're going to look to commit adultery. They're going to love what they see, and they're going to start taking it for themselves. They don't want to trust me. And he says... They're going to break the covenant, and then my anger will burn against them on that day. I'll abandon them and hide my face from them, so they will become easy prey. In other words, God's not saying, I'm going to run away. He's just saying, I can't be near sin, and if you're not going to be repentant, and if you're not going to allow me to come in to forgive and obey, I have to pull away out of mercy, so that maybe that will get your attention. See, God doesn't have to send lightning bolts. He just has to take his hand off. And he looks and he says, many troubles and afflictions will come on them. On that day, they will say, haven't those troubles come to us because our God is no longer with us? Well, yeah, you're going to say that, but why is he no longer with you? Because he forsake you? Nope. God's still being faithful to his promises today. You're sitting here because God has been faithful to his promise to Abraham to make many nations and to make people come to know him. He is still fulfilling his promise to Abraham every time someone believes in the God of Abraham. Still fulfilling his promise. God hasn't left. We have. He says, on that day, I will certainly hide my face on that day because of the evil they've done by turning to other gods. He just told them about the festival of tabernacles where God isn't hiding his face. He says, open up your, a hole in your roof, which I had last week, and then so I can come in and tabernacle with you, right? I wasn't really thinking God was coming in, but rain, I'm thankful that the rain didn't tabernacle with me. And so he says, that's, that's what I'm doing. And he says, but I have to hide my face because I can't even look at the stuff you accept. I, ah, I, I can't, no. I have to distance myself from that. Now, if we want to confess, he says he'll forgive. That's tabernacles, cancellation of debts. I'll come and meet with you. I'm not trying to avoid you, but I have to hide my face because if I don't hide you from my face, from your sin, I'll kill you. My glory will destroy you like the cloud in the tabernacle. He goes on and he says, Therefore write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the Israelites. Have them recite it so that this song may be a witness for me against the Israelites. I mean, can you imagine? Moses is in the tabernacle. He's handing off to Joshua. He knows he's going to climb the mountain. He's going to die. I mean, he's been 40 years living his life. He can't go into the promised land. All this is going down, and God says, this is what the people are going to do. This is not a good encouragement before you die. This is the you know, last words to your you know, family member. You know, they're laying there dying, and they're like, are my kids going to be okay? Nope. They're going to be terrible. Bye. Like, that's like... That's literally what happens. It's awful, but God's just honest. He's like, they're going to sin, but I'm still a good God. Some of them will return. Some of them will repent. Like, God's just honest. 
Look what he says. He says, when I bring them into the land. So then he says, I'm going to make you teach them a song, right? He's like, I'm going to give you a song to teach them so they can sing together. But it's not going to be a real great song. When I bring them into the land, I swore to give to their fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will eat their fill and prosper. Okay, good. They will turn to other gods and worship them, despising me and breaking my covenant. In other words, they're going to they're eat their fill and prosper, and then they're just going to forget me because they got it so good. And when many troubles and afflictions come on them, this song will testify against them because their descendants will not have forgotten it. For I know what they are prone to do. Even before I bring them into the land, I swore to give them. God says, I know who you are before you know who you are. I, I know your sin. I know your brokenness. I know it, and I still choose to give because I'm a giver. I'm not like you. You withhold. I don't withhold. I give. That's our God. He is a giver. He gives perfectly. He gives perfect justice. He gives perfect love. He is a perfect giver. And he looks and he says, so Moses wrote this song on that day and taught it to the Israelites. I mean, can you imagine this song? Like, like here's the new song we're all going to learn. The Lord commissioned Joshua, son of Nun. Now he's speaking directly to Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I swore to them, and I will be with you. When Moses had finished writing down on the scroll every single word of the law, he commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, take this book of the law, place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, so that it may remain there as a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you're rebelling against the Lord now while I'm still alive, how much more will you rebel after I'm dead? Moses is like, you don't listen now. It's not going to get any better when I'm gone. And isn't this the truth? That we think that if we just change relationships, it'll all get better? It doesn't. The truth's still the truth. It doesn't go away. We're, we still carry us into every circumstance. And we're the stiff-necked. I'm the stiff-necked person. I'm the one that doesn't have a heart to give, but a heart to receive. I should get the justice owed me. I should get the love owed me. I deserve me, me, me. And God says, that's stiff-necked. Because I'm a God who gave my son, who deserved no justice and got it all, and deserved all love and got none. See, that's the God of Scripture. It's so different than us. It's so different, and it's the same one of the Old Testament that he's looking at. Assemble your tribal elders and officers before me so I may speak these words directly to them and call heaven and earth as a witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become completely corrupt and turn from the path I've commanded you. I love this. Moses embraces God's truth. He doesn't argue. He doesn't fight. Oh, Lord, don't let this happen. He's like, no, it's gonna happen. I know it. And I have to warn you. I'm not gonna not warn you. I have to tell you the truth. Disaster will come on you in the future because you will do what's evil in the Lord's sight, infuriating him with what your hands have made. So Moses recited it out loud, every single word of this song to the entire assembly of Israel. Moses is just honest. He's like, I went in the tent of meeting. God told me and Joshua, now I'm coming out. I'm just telling you what God told me. I'm not trying to be mean. This is just the truth. I have to let you understand. I have to warn you of what's really happening. And you know what's amazing to me? These are Moses' last words. And they're really not all that positive on the surface. They're incredibly positive and hopeful behind the scenes. Because what Moses is doing is he's painting a picture of you are in desperate need of Yahweh to save you, of him to give. You can't earn this. You can't keep this. You can't work for this. You just have to stay close to him as close as possible with whatever he calls you to go through. That's exactly what Moses is saying. And so he recites this song. Now, we love songs today. We have our own radio stations as Christians, right? Christian radio that we have. So let's look at Moses' song and see how it fits with maybe some of the songs that, that we like to sing, right? Here it is. This is Moses' song that we're supposed to know, by the way. You'll see that in a minute. If you don't know this song, you're going to feel really awkward when we get to heaven because they're singing it in heaven. Just thought I'd let you know. We'll see it in a sec. Pay attention. I love that the song is like, 
wake up and pay attention, right? Like that, like it starts out with pay attention because that's what we need. We need like a, a good kicker at the beginning. They always tell you, you got to have something at the beginning to draw them in. It's like a pay attention. Heavens, and I will speak. Listen, earth, to the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words settle like dew, like gentle rain on new grass and showers on tender plants. Well, that sounds nice. That sounds like a song I'd like to listen to. For I will proclaim Yahweh's name, declare the greatness of our God, the rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are entirely just. A faithful God without prejudice. He is righteous and true. And we're all going, we're just singing along, jamming to this song, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's a good song right there. I mean, we're jamming right along with it. There's only one problem. That verse 4 would have been horrible for Moses. See, this whole song you're going to find out in a minute. The reference in the song that God is using over and over again through the whole song, he says it like 10 times, is the rock. Why did Moses not get to go into the promised land? What did he do? He struck a rock when God told him to speak to it. Moses is having to sing a song that reminds him of his own failure the entire time. They're still singing it in heaven to this day. And Moses is faithful to sing it. And he's faithful to teach it. He's faithful to embrace his own failing, his own sin, and say, God is a faithful God. I'm not mad at him that he judged me and isn't letting me to go in. He is the rock that I struck instead of speaking to the rock. That's the rock I sing of, Moses says. And he's without prejudice. He wasn't judging me. He wasn't prejudiced. I deserve worse than that. He should have struck me dead for disobeying him. And he just said I didn't get to cross into the promise, this earthly promised land. I'm okay with that. And he's righteous and true. He was right and true to judge me for what I did. But I know he's forgiving. See, Moses is singing a song, and this whole song would have been the whole nation remembering Moses struck the rock. He's singing a song and saying, yeah, you're idiot you know, guy who struck the rock, that's the song we're going to sing and you're going to remember forever. Wow. Then Moses would be faithful to sing this, to teach it, to say, I don't, can we use a different analogy, God? Because the rock thing's really offensive. Like, can we pick somebody Aaron's sin? Aaron, remember he made a golden calf. Can we talk about, you know, he's our ultimate no idol God, but not like Aaron and the calf. Can we kind of write that in there? No. Moses, this is your song for the people. And you embrace your responsibility. He says, his people have acted corruptly toward him. So now we like the first part. Now it turns. His people have acted corruptly toward him. This is their defect. They are not his children, but are devious and crooked generation. Is this how you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father and creator? Didn't he make you and sustain you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years long past. See, we always want now. We always want to look to the future. We don't want to pause and think back and, and look at the faithfulness of God and the insignificant of our lives because when we do that, we get discouraged and terrified instead of being courageous. And God says, no, you can be courageous and look back. He says, ask your father and he'll tell you. Your elders, they will teach you. They'll tell you what happened in the past and what the mess. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance and divided the human race, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of his people Israel. But the Lord's portion is his people Jacob, his own inheritance. He found Jacob in a desolate land, in a barren and howling wilderness. He surrounded him, cared for him, and protected him as the pupil of his eye. Because you can just imagine them saying, okay, Moses is singing about the rock, which he struck. We're talking about Jacob, who was a liar and a deceiver and a cheat, right? God uses him. And he says, no, he even found Jacob in the wilderness when he was wandering around and came to his rescue. That's our God. He watches over his nest like an eagle and hovers over his young. He spreads his wings, catches him, and lifts him up on his pinions. The Lord alone led him with no help from a foreign god. He made him ride on the heights of the land and eat the produce of the field. He nourished him. In other words, Jacob didn't do any of this. Jacob didn't earn any of this. It was all God. With honey, look, from the rock and oil from the flint-like rock. Remember, God, Moses struck the rock to get what out of it? Water. Now he's having to sing about the fact that God will provide honey and other stuff. In other words, Moses is still being reminded of his mistake. 
cream from the herd and milk from the flock, with the fat of lambs, rams of Basham and goats, with the choicest grains of wheat you drink, wine from the finest grapes. He's saying, look, look at all God has given you. Look at all he's provided. And what do we do? Then Jeshurun became fat and rebelled. You became fat, bloated, and gorged. It's kind of offensive, <laughs> calling people fat without the PH, it's the F-A, right? No. See, here's the problem. I give and I give, and then you just expect more and more and more. I give and I give, and you expect more and more, and, just, and you think you deserve, you don't deserve anything, nothing. You actually deserve to be dead in my presence, and yet I extend my grace, and I want a relationship with you. That's the beauty of our God. And he's like, we get fat. And when we get fat, we rebel. We become bloated. And he says, you abandoned the God who made him and scorned the rock. There it is again. The rock of his salvation. In other words, he wasn't your salvation. It was all the stuff that was going to save you. Your retirement. The way you handle fine. All the stuff you're going to do is going to, our military. That's all going to save you, not the rock. They provoked his jealousy with foreign gods. They enraged him with detestable practices. They scattered, or they sacrificed to demons, not God, to gods they had not known, new gods they had just arrived, which your fathers did not fear. You ignored, here it is again, the rock who gave you birth. You forgot the God who gave birth to you. You, you don't realize that he's the one that even gave you life, that he put light in you at the moment of conception. Like, he did that. When the Lord saw this, he despised them, provoked to anger by his sons and his daughters. By his sons. God wasn't provoked to anger by the world. He's provoked by his own sons and daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what will become of them, for they are perverse generation and unfaithful children. He just, he just... The, the picture of hiding the face is so terrible that, that God wants to be tabernacle. He wants to be face-to-face. He wants a personal relationship, and God has to look at us and go, I, I, I can't. Like the, the pain of that in a relationship, to just have someone look at you and go, I, 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 I can't. God says, that's, that's what I have to do because I just I can't take this anymore. And he looks and he says, they have provoked my jealousy with their so-called God. They've enraged me with their worthless idols. So I'll provoke their jealousy with an inferior people. I'll enrage them with a foolish nation. That happened with the Romans. The Jews were so mad that they had to be under Roman occupation. They thought Jesus was going to deliver them from the Romans. And when he didn't, they killed him. When he said, that's not my plan, they're like, we want out from underneath these Romans. And then in 70 AD, they tried to overthrow the Romans and the temple got torn down, which is what Jesus said would happen. Because they could, not, they could not read this verse. They had this law. They couldn't read it. They wouldn't understand it. For fire has been kindled because of my anger and burns to the depths of Sheol. It devours the lands and its produce, scorches the foundations of the mountains. I will pile disaster on them. I'll rise up my arrows against them. They will be weak from hunger, ravaged from pestilence and bitter plague. I'll unleash them on wild beasts with fangs, as well as venomous snakes that slitter in the dust. Outside the sword will take their children, and inside there will be terror. The young man and the young woman will be killed, the infant and the gray-haired man. By the way, that's happening today. We euthanize our old folks, and we kill our infants that we really think are invaluable. I would have said I'll cut them to pieces and blot out the memory of them from mankind if I had not feared insult from the enemy or fear that those foes misunderstand and say our own hand has prevailed. It wasn't the Lord who did all this. I love how God says, the only reason that I'm sparing you is because I'm trying to get people to see my glory and get them to see who I am. Don't think you're that great. I love you. I love you. That's why Jesus at one point says, God can make sons out of these stones from Abraham. God can make sons of Abraham's out of these stones if he wants to. Be careful of your stiff-necked, my stiff-necked pride and thinking that you're just going to cross because, well, God loves me and so I get in. Israel is a nation lacking sense with no understanding at all. If, remember, this is a song still. We're still singing the same song. It's a long one. It's like Inagata De Vida, drum solo, okay, for those of you who know what that is. If only they were wise, they would figure it out. 
They would understand their fate. How could one man pursue a thousand or put 10,000 to flight unless, again, their rock, he has to say it again, their rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up. But their rock is not like our rock. I love this. He's like, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies concede that. In other words, even the enemies of God recognize there's something different about your God, which is why we're trying to kill you. Because your God didn't like our God. We can get along with all these other nations and their gods, but your God's different. We got to take you out. Because we don't like your God. We don't like what your God says about forgiveness and not earning. And then I can't manipulate people because it's forgiveness and it's grace. It's not earning stuff. And goes on, he says, For their vine is from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Those are the cities God destroyed in the Old Testament. Their grapes are poisonous. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is serpent's venom, deadly poison of cobras. It is not stored up with me, sealed up in my vaults. He goes on and he says, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay in time their foot will slip, for their day of disaster is near, and their doom is coming quickly. The Lord indeed will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and no one is left slave or free. I love that. You may be in a place where you think that God is done with you, that he doesn't have compassion, that he's finished. Listen, if you've come to that place, you are really close to fully knowing and having salvation if you don't already have it. You are in a great place because he says, it's when your strength is fully gone and you realize that nobody else but God can fix this, that's when he can come in and save. That's when you're not looking and saying, well, I'm a slave, I can't do anything, and I'm free to do whatever I want. It's neither. You're his. And then he says, I love this, he looks, he goes on, he will say, where are the God's the rock they found refuge in, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let those gods rise up and help you. Let it be a shelter for you. That's tabernacles again, a shelter. See now that I alone am he. There is no God but me. I bring death and I give life. I wound and I heal. No one can rescue anyone from my hand. And you read that and you think, wow, that's pretty harsh. That's exactly what God did to his son, Jesus. Jesus was willing to die because he knew his father would give life. Jesus was willing to be wound on our behalf, the Bible says, for our healing. Jesus was knew that there was no rescue and no escape in the Garden of Gethsemane from the plan that the Trinity had set from the beginning of Genesis, and he embraced it and said, whatever is from the Father's hand, all the justice I take because I can trust my God not to forsake me. I can trust my God to resurrect me. I can trust him to help me cross over and cross back so that I can help the disciples of my followers cross over to me. That is the picture of the Bible. It is beautiful. There is no God like it in all of in human history. It says, I will raise my hand to the heavens and declare as surely as I live forever, when I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold of judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make arrows drunk with blood while my sword devours flesh, the blood of the slain and the captives, the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice, you nations, concerning his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his adversaries. He will purify his land and his people. You see, we look at that and we think, wow, that seems really harsh. Rejoice you nations concerning his avenge. Listen, we all want vengeance. We all want justice. When we see injustice, there should be something in us that cries out and says, that's not right. No. God, when are you going to fix that? That can't keep happening. That's exactly what he's saying. There's coming a day when God's going to do that. But don't think that his patience is because he just likes that it goes on and that you can do it. No. He allows it so that maybe, just maybe, we'll get so miserable, we'll finally cry out to him. Because that's the only way the people of God throughout Scripture cried out to God. Because when they were fat and satisfied, they didn't cry out to God. He goes on and says, Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, recited all the words of this song in the presence of the people. That's a long song. You need to know it. Here's why. After Moses finished reciting all the words to Israel, he said, take... To heart, all these words I'm giving you as a warning to you today so that you may command your children to carefully follow all the words of this law. For they are not meaningless words to you, but they are your life. And by them you will live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. These words are life. Can I tell you, the Old Testament is life. It tells us how to do life. 
It tells us how to treat one another. It tells us what God thinks about our world and the things around us. It's life. It's life-giving. It was giving life to children so they could see what it was like to have real life, not the fake life they were presented. That's exactly what all this is about. And he's saying, be careful. It's not meaningless. And today we live in a world that looks at the Bible, and like I did a few weeks ago, ripping pages out and throwing them. We just rip pages out and say, this is meaningless. This is meaningless. This doesn't mean anything. And God's like, no, it's not. I put that there for your life. It's beautiful. It reveals who I am to you. Is some of it confusing? Sure. Is some of it we're not going to know till we get to heaven? Absolutely. But that's not an excuse. And he says, you need to know it because if you don't know it, what's going to happen is the land you go into is going to seem really foreign to you because you don't know what you're supposed to be doing in it. Most of the Old Testament we're going to be doing in heaven. I don't know if you know that or not. The tribes are going to be stationed around the city of Jerusalem, most likely in Revelation we read, just like it says. We're going to be celebrating the feasts of God. We're going to be calling him the lamb that was slain. Like, if you don't know these things, you're going to feel really foreign when you get to heaven and you're like, well, I just came here because I thought it was like a party and I get to be fat and, you know, enjoy stuff. Look at this, Revelation 15. Three, this is what's going on in heaven. This is what will go on for eternity. They sang the song of God's servant, Moses. This is the last book of the Bible. This is talking about eternity. And it says they sang the song of God's servant, Moses, and the song of the Lamb. In other words, they go together. These aren't separate songs. We sing these together. This is like when you interject an old hymn into a modern praise song, right? Like we put a little hymn in here. You, you put a little, little praise song in an old hymn and you spice it up. Like, yeah, we're, these go together. They're not a different story. We sing these together. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name because you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. In other words, we have the law. Your righteous acts have been revealed and we are celebrating that we have the law. And the law is coming to fruition. It's being completed at the end of Revelation. The judgment's coming. That's what we just read about. Moses' song is judgment coming. The fiery arrows are coming. It's happening right here in Revelation. So they're singing about it. They're singing the song. Not like, oh, I don't know if I can sing that. Like arrows, that's, I don't, that, I don't feel comfortable. No, it's, it's the truth. It's the song. We're going to sing. God, thank you for your justice. Thank you for your love. Thank you that I'm forgiven because I deserve to be just like them and you've forgiven me. It's not what I've done. It's what you've done. This is what Jesus says about being strong and courageous and who will cross. Jesus in chapter 14 of John says this, your heart must not be troubled. Listen, we live in a troubled world, a world where people's hearts are troubled. Moses' heart had to be troubled knowing he wasn't gonna go into the promised land, knowing that he's singing a song about a rock and that's what he struck and can't, like there's had to be some troubling in Moses. Believe in God, believe also in Yahweh saves. In Joshua. This is Moses. Believe in God. Moses is his servant. Also believe in Joshua. He's going to take you into the promised land. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you, just like when they went into the tabernacle and Moses came out and told him the truth, I would have told you the truth. Moses told you the truth. You're stiff-necked people. You're not going to, you're going to reject. I'll just tell you the truth. I am going away to prepare a place for you. I, I'm going away. I'm crossing ahead of you to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and receive you to myself so that where, I'm, where I am, you can come too. I'm inviting you to my house. I'm inviting you. You know the way to where I am going. Look at this. Lord Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am. I am, that's, that's the name of God in the Old Testament, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to get to the promised land, you're going to have to follow Joshua. He, he's taking you in. Are you going to try to stay here and live, or are you going to go? I know it's scary. They're big. It's, it's a scary world. It's, 
there's giants in the land and, and there's enemies and there's going to be fights and there's going to be problems. And, and God just told you you're going to sin and his wrath's going to come. So maybe we should just stay over here and not cross over because it's scary to begin this relationship with this big God and everything else. But the problem is if you do that, then you have, you're going to have that for eternity. You're going to have judgment and pain for eternity. Versus trading that and saying, God, I'm going to believe that, that what Jesus said is true, that you are the way to cross. You are the truth about how to cross. You are the life that waits for me on the other side. See, that's what Jesus was laying out for them. The same thing Moses was. And Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going. I'm going to the promised land. <laughs> that's a, I'm, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. That's what God does. He goes ahead of us. And then I'm going to invite you. Do you want to trust me that I can take you there? No, I want it now. You don't get it now. Like that's... Revelation says that he's going to come back, judge the world, and create a new heaven and a new earth and a new promised land. We're waiting on that. We don't get to make our own promised land now. We're waiting. He says, that's exactly it. And he says, Thomas, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just follow me, you'll go where you need to go. It's not about getting a land. It's about knowing the person who's leading you. And you get whatever they have. And we've been telling people, don't you want to go to heaven? Instead of saying, don't you want to know this incredible, awesome, wonderful God who loves? Like, he's awesome. And then we wonder why people fall away. Because they got to the promised land, they realized it's just as messy here as it is back there. Yep, on this earth until God comes back. We gave them a promise we could never fulfill versus saying it's not about getting heaven. If that's your motivation is getting stuff, man, you be careful with your heart. But if your heart is, I just want to be with him. I just want to be with my God. I believe he is who he says he is, and whatever happens, happens, and I'm in. If that's who you are, Jesus says, you can know where I'm going, because you'll be with me. You don't have to ask. Like, where, where are you going? Typically, when you follow someone, Thomas, when they walk out, you, you walk out with them. And if, I'm, if you go with me as I go, you'll know where I'm going. No, I just stay here. You just tell me where you're going. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> we wrap up with last part, verse 48. On that same day, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up to Mount Nebo in the Arabim Range in the land of Moab across from Jericho and view the land of Canaan. I'm giving the Israelites as a possession. This just seems almost cruel to me sometimes when I read this. I know Moses was probably didn't view God that way. He was a little probably more righteous than I am, I'm sure. I know he was because God says he was. He was a righteous man. But this had to be painful, too, to go up and just, you just got done singing a song all about the rock that reminds you of your mess, and now you've got to climb up on the mountain, and you're looking out over the promised land. You see Jericho. You see, you see the land that for 40 years you've been wandering in a desert, and you're finally there. You finally see it. Then you'll die on the mountain that you go up and you'll be gathered to your people. Moses, I'm going to gather you. It's okay, I got you. You'll die, but, but I'll bring you to be with me. I'll gather you with the people, just as your brother Aaron died on Mount Hor. He was gathered to me. You're going to get to see Aaron again. You're going to, you're going to be gathered with them. For both of you broke faith with me among the Israelites at the waters of Meribath Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin by failing to treat me as holy in my presence, although from a distance you will view. Uh-oh, I can't see the other side. Okay, now i got to step out. The land that I'm giving the Israelites, you will not go there. Moses, I'm going to give you a taste. I'm going to give you a taste. But you can't go there in your current condition can't go there with sin in your life. See, this is exactly the message of the gospel to us. God says, I'm going to give you a taste of a relationship with me. I'm going to give you a community of believers. I'm going to gather you together with other believers. I'm going to give you a taste, a little bit of a taste of what heaven will be like, but the problem is you have to go back out and fight. Because you're going into a land that's, that's full of giants. You're going into a place that's hard, that's difficult, and, and you're, you're a part of my plan to do that. And it's a battle, and sometimes that battle's right in your own home. Sometimes it's right around the people like Moses had with Aaron. When they fought, 
Sometimes the battle's within yourself. And God says, look, who will cross? Who will cross? Yahweh saves. Jesus will. He crossed eternity for you and I. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father but through me. But with me, I guarantee you, you can get to the Father. I guarantee you, Moses, I can gather you. I guarantee you, I can gather you. I can, I can bring you with me. But you got to follow. You got you to surrender. You got to invite me to come in to begin to do my work. And when I do that, he says, I won't leave you or forsake you. And if you try to leave me or forsake me, I'm an, I'll turn my face away and let you go and be like, it's a mess. But I'm here when you want to return. Haven't left. Still the same God. Still waiting to tabernacle. Still waiting. Still wanting to help you cross. Still wanting to help you get across. See, that's the message of the gospel is a promise just like he did to Moses, just like to us, that if we know the Savior, the one who saves, and we follow him, that we will enter the promised land because he goes before us. We don't need to doubt it. We don't need to know it's not. It happened. We got the book of Joshua that says it happened. They led into the promised land. We can know for certain that we can have eternity to be with God forever, not because we want some great place to live, but because we love the person who lives there, and we want to be with him. And when you, when you make that decision, it changes everything. It also changes how you react to circumstances. That when God asks you to climb a mountain, when he asks you to, to deal with stiff-necked people, when he asks you to do these things, you go, okay, I know you got this because I know where you're taking me. This isn't the promised land yet. I'm okay. 